0: Good morning. It is uh, really great to be here with all of you today and, and to see some uh, wonderful faces that I haven't seen for a long time. And so it is a blessing to be back together. And I'm so glad that you're able to join us here for our outdoor worship service. Or if you are at home on the online service, I'm glad that you're able to join us in, in that way as well. But it has been uh, too long since we have been able to gather uh, together. I remember at spur of the moment when we had to uh, say we're going to move to online service when all of this uh, began. And I remember thinking, okay, you know, uh, two, three weeks we'll be back together. Uh, And now we think back on that and like how ridiculous was that? But that's what we were thinking at the time, that this was just going to be a short period of time, but it has now been six months since we have been able to gather together here at the church, and it has been a turbulent time. Like Jr. said, we're going through this uh, sermon series, "Overcomer," and the subtitle of that series is "Living with Strength and Peace During Turbulent Times." And these are turbulent times, am I right? Uh, in fact, I just I don't know if there has ever been a time where it has been more things one after another. And so this morning, I'm going to give us a little exercise, and uh, we're going to list all the things that have made this time in the last six months so turbulent. And, uh, and if you're at home uh, joining us online, you can type these into the uh, comment section, and uh, Stephen will shout them out to me, whatever you type in there. But I want to welcome my lovely assistant, Chelsea, my wife, and uh, because I've been told I have terrible penmanship, so I won't write it on the board, but I'll ask uh, Chelsea to write it. And so what have been some of the things, because it's been one thing after another, what have been some of the things that have made the, these last six months such a crazy period of time? And so I'll get us started. Obviously, the first one here is coronavirus. Like, that's what got us kicked off here. What are what are some of the other things that have made this time uh, Uh, feel so turbulent coronavirus wildfires Wildfires. yes uh, we have not only do are we shut in because of coronavirus then we don't even feel like we can go outside because of the air quality and the wildfires what else the protests uh, protests. yes racial uh, uh, protests and uh, I, uh, I heard another one unemployment just the economic unrest and and uh uh, so we might just say like unemployment or even job security uh that that has definitely added to this yes an earthquake yes wildfires weren't enough then we had an earthquake Stephen do I have any online comments yet okay they're coming all right uh what what else uh makes this time Yeah, yeah, just, just kind of the, the burden of uh, it feeling like it's, it's, uh, it's repeated. It adds to a sense of t- turbulence. And, uh, so, so, uh, and, and that is, if we think about uh, the, the, that's an interesting one. So I, anyway, my mind's running because I hadn't thought about that one before. Uh, because if w- this was happening another time, we might not have felt the same way. But just the media, the way it is today, where we have so much access to it. It, makes it, uh, it, it raises the stress level in us, and uh, so, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Anyone else think of anything else? It's an election year. That adds to it, yes. Uh, it, we're in a political season. It's an election year. Social isolation, I heard like being shut in. That adds to the, to the feeling of that. Any, anyone else? Global warming, all right? That, that's maybe behind all of, all of uh, the, the um, natural disaster type things. I can think of one more that feels very turbulent for my life, but does anyone else have anything else? Sela. Yes, okay, that's, that's good. Uh, being able to not gather as a church is added to a sense of turbulence. Darko that's the one I was going to say. Distance learning, homeschooling, like that has added just a lot of difficulty to people's lives. And uh, anyone else? The longer the list, the more we get the... (laughs) Boy, these are crazy times. Yeah, just the uncertainty of of, uh, how long all of this will last. So, yeah uh, you you wonder where is there an end in sight is it a month from now is it a year from now and just right right yeah yeah so we could probably keep going but the sun is hot and so uh, we'll call it a list Uh, and um, but let's just look uh, let's just look at thank you Chelsea let's just look at this uh, list for a second Okay, Chelsea's got one more to add. Protests, like racial, um, racial yeah, yeah, the racial tense yeah, just um the the um uh racial injustice, maybe we could say. Uh it, it goes with the protest, but those are two those are two things. Um Yeah, that's good. okay thank you uh so anyway let's uh this is this is our list and uh we got 12 things here and that's a lot of things and I look at that list and uh and I think uh there's a lot on that list to be afraid of there there's a lot on that list that raises the anxiety level within my own heart and I'm sure uh yours as well There. There's a lot on this list to fear. And uh, and I look at that list, and I wonder if if Jesus were to stand before us today, if he would say, do not fear. You know, one of the things that Jesus repeated over and over again while he was on earth, he said, do not fear do not be afraid, or he'd ask his disciples, why are you so afraid? And I wonder if Jesus, if he were to stand uh, here before us and he were to look at that list, uh, if he would say to us as well, do not be afraid, do not fear. And and I would have to imagine that if Jesus did stand here and say that, we'd look at and say, "Uh, Jesus, yeah, I know, first century, Uh, that it surely had its difficulties, but this is 21st century, and this time is unprecedented. Do not fear. Jesus, that's a little bit too simple. It's a little bit naive. These are things that ought, that deserve our, that we should be afraid of. These are things that should cause us anxiety, and I wonder if we would look at Jesus and we would say, come on, Jesus, do not fear. I don't know about that one. You see, this was one of the main lessons that Jesus had to teach his disciples while he was on earth. From the very beginning, starting in the Gospels to the very end, one of the uh, things that he will repeat is this idea of do not be afraid. And I want to just look at some of these passages that Jesus says where he says that because I wonder if there is a message for us, Along these lines, during this unprecedentedly turbulent time, do not be afraid. As I said, uh, uh, and so to look at this, I'm going to look at just the Gospel of Matthew. In the Bible, there are four Gospels, and some of you may know this, and some of you aren't as familiar with the the Bible, but I I think that... uh, This is just good background information. So there's four Gospels. What does Gospel mean? It literally means good news. Now the Bible is divided up into two parts. We have the Old Testament, which is like three quarters of the Bible. It's all of the history of the nation of Israel up until the time of Jesus. And then we have the New Testament, and it's shorter because it covers a shorter period of time. It's just the life of Jesus, and then the first uh, few decades after Jesus, talking about looking at Jesus' early followers. And the first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels, and these are the books that teach us about the life and teaching of Jesus. Now, you wonder, why four? Well, I think part of the reason why there's four is these different perspectives gives weightiness to what it's talking about. Because I'll admit, you read some of these things, and you're like, did that really happen like, that almost sounds too good to be true. Like, we're going to look at some uh, Bible passages this morning that make us think, could that possibly really have happened? Well, it, there's at least four people that witnessed it, and they, and they all, in their own way, there's differences from story to story, story, to story but in their own way, they tell similar things. And, and, and we're going to have to wrestle with this each individually, what, uh, what really took place But the fact that there are four gives us weight, And so I'm going to just focus on the Gospel of Matthew this morning. The Gospel of Matthew is the first uh, book in the New Testament. And so if you have your program, all the verses are listed in here and uh, you can follow along there. First of all, Matthew chapter 8. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? There's, the, there's that... Uh, statement of uh, there's that question about being afraid why are you so afraid then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm the men were amazed and asked what kind of man is this even the wind and the waves obey him now this. Now the disciples and Jesus are out on the storm, out on the uh, sea, and there's a furious storm. It says it's a furious storm. It came up, and I just want us to understand that uh, the, that many of the people that were on the boat with Jesus were fishermen. Uh, they they were not new to how to navigate a boat, or and this was surely not their first storm. But this was a storm that got their attention. You can picture them like trying to pale the water out of the bail the water out of the uh, boat because they are afraid they are going under they are going to sink and here and and so they are all panicked and full of fear and here is jesus over in the boat sleeping now does anyone uh think that that seems odd in the morning when i get up and i am tired out what is the first thing i do take some cold water and i splash it on my face and then all of a sudden i'm wide awake right Here's Jesus, uh, and the cold water from the sea is surely just getting all over him. And uh, the boat is rocking and waving, and and here he is asleep. Part of me wants to think, Jesus, are you faking it? But uh, surely he's not. Like, Jesus must be really tired out. But uh, the disciples go up to Jesus, and they wake him and say, Jesus, Lord, Savior, get up. Save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus looks at him straight in the face and says, You of little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then, he gets, and then he turns to the wind and the waves, and he says, Be still, and in an instant, the wind, of the way, the wind and the waves are calm. And, uh, and Jesus, and then the, the disciples react by saying, What kind of man is this? And that little sentence that they give is the key. You see, the key to not being afraid is to know who Jesus is. It is to know who God is. In fact, we get a couple characteristics of who God is, just even in this introductory passage. First of all, we learn that God is very powerful. By, the, by, uh, by speaking the word, the waves and the, and the wind, they die down. All of a sudden, it's calm. And then the, and then the second thing we learn about Jesus is that he cares For those that are with him, that are in the boat with him, Jesus is powerful and he cares. Now, one of the things that uh, if we study fear, that we come to realize is that fear can be a very good and uh, powerful thing in our lives. It has many benefits. In fact, when you are afraid, it keeps you from certain uh, amounts of danger, right? When you are afraid, when you are afraid, you don't do stupid things, like you don't uh, you don't run across the freeway when the traffic is zipping by at seventy-five miles an hour because you realize that would uh, because you're afraid of that. You realize that would do you great uh, uh, harm. And if you see a snarling dog, you don't go up and say hi, cute puppy. Uh, You got a fear of that dog, and so you keep your distance, right? And uh, and you find the moldy green bread that got lost in the back of the cabinet and you're afraid of that bread and so you don't eat it so there are certain benefits to fear it keeps us safe now brain science uh, uh, and uh, and things that have studies that have taken place have shown us what is happening uh, within us when we become uh, fearful we get a rush of adrenaline And it gives us energy to be able to deal with the things that we're dealing with. In this passage, I am sure that the adrenaline was flowing through the disciples as they try to get rid of all of this, uh, this water. But here is the thing that I really want to point out about fear that is so powerful for us to understand if we are to really grasp what Jesus is saying here. Is fear has the ability to focus us. It gives us laser focus. When you are full of uh, fright and you're, uh, it gives you the ability to give all of your attention to what is before you. You don't worry about what you're going to eat for lunch if you've got fear in you. and you don't, and you don't get distracted with the noise out in the background if you're full of fear. And so what I think uh, the key for us to be over, to overcome fear, is to use the focus that fear produces within us but to not to focus on the situation or the circumstance but rather to focus on the savior and so here is the main idea of this message for us to use our fears to focus us on the father that is the key because the question that the disciples ask is who is this man in other words where is your attention if your attention is on Jesus, then the, wind, then the wind and the waves, yes, they're fearful things. They're frightening. But turn your attention to me because I am more powerful than the storm. Because I care for you more than, uh, than all of the things that are happening around you. And so here is the key for us to be overcomers of fear. To use fear to focus us on the Father. And to to look at these things and to ask ourselves the question, is God greater than these things? Does God care more uh, for us than when these dangers come into our lives? You see, fear is natural. It's given by God. God has hardwired us to fear. That's why when these things that uh, take place in front of us, our body has a natural reaction that is good for us. But what if we use our fears to focus us on the Father? So that we are not overwhelmed by our fears, but we are able to overcome our fears because of the God that lives in us and with us. That, I think, is uh, at the heart of what, is, what Jesus is trying to drive home to the disciples here in Matthew chapter 8. Now, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus goes on. This is not so much a story as it is just Jesus' teaching He says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. See, Jesus recognizes fear comes into our lives, but in a sense, he's using a little bit of logic here. He's, he's rationalizing with them. He says, why are you afraid of things that can only kill the body but cannot kill the soul? If you're going to fear something, kill the, fear the one that can kill both the body and the soul in hell. In other words, fear God. What Jesus is driving at here is that God is powerful, and we ought to fear him. And then, but but it's not a fear that makes us uh, cower like that. We would be uh, that we are afraid to be struck dead at any moment. Why? Because Jesus gives us an illustration. He says he then points out how much God cares for us. He says, "Look at the uh, uh, sparrows, worth half a cent. Two of them are sold for a penny." And God cares so much more for you. He says, "You are worth more than." Many sparrows. And I almost imagine there's a chuckle in the audience when he says that. Well, of course, I'm worth more than many sparrows. You know, spar- sparrows have no value. I was kind of hoping, and I figured, I was kind of hoping there'd be a bird flying over right at this point. Uh, but uh, you can get the image that Jesus has in mind. He says, sparrows, they're not worth anything. I had a sparrow get stuck in my uh, screened in porch this week. And uh, tried to bat it out. Not trying to hurt the thing. I'm trying to help the thing. But nobody cares that the sparrow dies. I mean, I, I don't want it to die. But they're not worth anything. Jesus says, I know how many hairs are on your head. That's how much I love you. You're worth so much more. Again, the two things. God is powerful. And God cares for us. So he says, don't be afraid. Trust in me. Now, the third passage is found in uh, Matthew 14, and it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. That word made there is is a terrible translation. It should be much stronger than that. Like, this is a word that means Jesus had to coerce them. He had to almost shove them into the boat. He had to to twist their arms and get it. Uh, They did not want to get in the boat. They they remembered the last time they were in the boat. We're not going through that again, Jesus. There's no way. I remember that deja vu, no thank you. But Jesus finally forced them in the boat, and then he pushes the boat off the shore. He doesn't even go with them. The first first time they could wake him up and say, Jesus, save us, now he's not in the boat. It says that, uh, that they went on ahead of him while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, so in other words, a good amount of time has passed. They should have been to the other side of the lake by now. But the wind and the waves are, are, are going to come crashing against the boat. It's going to make it hard for them to sail. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And now, again, I told you, some of these things are, are hard to understand, and, and we'll wrestle with this. But let me continue on for now. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake... They were terrified. Mark says they feared a great fear. They were really afraid. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. See those three tiny words? That's the key. Say that with me. It is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. The whole reason that you don't need to be afraid is because Jesus is with them. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? In other words, why did you doubt me? I'm right here with you. As soon as Peter took his eyes off of Jesus was when he began to sink. And the same thing could happen to us spiritually. As soon as these things become overwhelming, as soon as these things take our eyes off of Jesus is when we cease to be an overcomer and we become overwhelmed. You see, the the key for us to live as overcomers it is to use our fear to focus us on the Father, to keep our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's more powerful and because he cares for us. Now, Peter, it seems, almost has it. In fact, as long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus, he, uh, he is able to make it uh, to the ways. But eventually, he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and, uh, and he goes down with the rest. Now, I'll admit, as I said, this is a hard passage to take at face value. If you're like me and you grew up in Sunday school, you read this and you're oh yeah, I remember flannel graph, Jesus walks on the water. But if you're reading this for the first time, uh, you're like, did that really happen? You know, you, this is a question that you've got to wrestle with. Again, you've got to wrestle with the question that the, decei- the disciples asked, what kind of man is this? But let me just give you a little uh, hint, L- this, and you, you take this for what it's worth. But uh, historians, especially of ancient literature, they have one test that they call the criteria of embarrassment. You want to guess what the criteria of embarrassment is? The criteria of embarrassment is if it makes the, the good guys look bad, there's a better chance that it actually happened. Because especially in ancient li- literature, they wanted to make their heroes out to be superheroes. And, and Peter is a superhero. He's a leader in the church. I imagine when, uh, uh, when Matthew uh, went to write this, he's like, uh, Peter, are you sure you want me to include this story about you walking on the water? Because you got off to a good start, but it's kind of embarrassing. I mean, you, you took your eyes off Jesus and you sunk. It would have been much better if you would have made it. And Peter's like, you know what? It happened put it in there you know the reason that we have four gospels and we have this criteria of embarrassment and we have so many manuscripts and eyewitnesses all i'm asking you to do is wrestle with this because if this is true then it is worth giving our lives to because it points to the fact that jesus is powerful and he cares for us peter almost got it you thought he's just on the edge but he doesn't quite get it. And then we come to the last chapters of the Bible, and you think it's been one test after another, one teaching after another. You'd think they'd finally get it. Peter says, Lord, even if everyone else betrays you, surely I will stick with you to the very end. Never will I give up on you. I believe in you, Jesus. I know you're powerful. I know you care for me, no matter what happens. And then Peter walks into the courtyard as Jesus is undergoing his trial and there's a fire there and he sits down and there's a lot of fear in the air. Bad stuff is happening. They're about to take his savior and Lord to the cross to be crucified. And a little girl, someone that you'd think was so innocent says, hey, I know you, you were with the man, right? Peter says, not me. I don't know the guy. Another person, you're a Galilean. I know you had to have been one of me, one with him. No, not me. I don't know him. You see, what happened uh, one more time is that Peter was overcome with this fear. And before the rooster crowed in the, in the morning, he had denied that he knew Jesus three times. And then we get to the last chapter of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has risen from the dead. And verse 10 says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From the very start of his ministry to the end, there is one consistent lesson. Do not be afraid. Go, tell, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There you will see me. In other words, there, uh, you will come face to face with me. The key to being an overcomer, to overcoming fear, is to know that Jesus is with you. There you will see me. And the very last verse of, the, of Matthew 28, Jesus says, before he ascends into heaven, uh, surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus is still with us. Though the key to overcoming fear is to use your fear to focus you on the Father. Because if you come to know that Jesus is powerful and that he cares for you, then you have all the strength in the world to be an overcomer. Peter was eventually called to Jesus and had an early morning breakfast in which Jesus talked to Peter and he says, You know what? I still love you. I'm with you to the end. You're forgiven. Feed my lambs. And he reassures him of his relationship with him. And Peter would go on to write a, uh, to write a book of his own. And the verse, I just want to point out one verse from First Peter. First Peter 5.7 Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The Greek word for anxiety literally means to be double minded, to lose your focus, to have your focus on two things at once. And so Peter says, Focus. Focus on God. Why? Because he cares for you. You see, I wonder if we are going through a time of testing ourselves. I wonder if all of this is a test. And I wonder if God is uh, uh, looking upon us and he says, uh, do you trust me? Do you trust me more than these things? I wonder if God is looking upon America and and it's a test. Will people turn to him or will they turn away from him? Because many, I will tell you, will turn away from God. In fact, I think that this is a time of turning away from God. It's a test. It's a refining fire. What Jesus is asking for uh, of us is, uh, will we be afraid or will we turn to him? And my challenge to you today is, use fear to focus you on the Father. Why? Because he is powerful and because he cares for us. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. And we thank you that uh, you love us so much. God, I just thank you that we can gather here. And it's hot and the sun is uh, beating down on me right now and I got sweat pouring down. But God, there's no place I'd rather be. This is a great thing. I love uh, being here with your people and I love to look them in the eyes. I love that there are so many that are joining us online right now. And God, I just pray that you would help us to overcome fear because we trust in you. You know, as we prepare our hearts to uh, take communion, there is, a, um, there is a truth embedded in the act of communion, and that is that God is powerful. He is greater than our sin, and he is greater than death, and that he cares for us, that he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross for us. And so, God, I just pray that as we have this communion together right now, that you would help us just to rejoice and to celebrate in this.